Welcome back, chatters. It has been a long year, and we are back in strength. For those uh, who do not know me, I'm Brian Schmidt, the Vice Chancellor of the Australian National University. And I've been called many things on this very stage over the time hosting this wonderful live show. Uh, but tonight, I'm proud to call myself a chatter. I have been listening intently to all of the episodes over the years. Uh, Lee and Annabelle have literally been keeping me company on my drive into work because my uh, Tesla actually can stream Chat 10 Look 3, so I do thank them for that. Uh, before we go any further, I would like to acknowledge and celebrate the first Australians on whose traditional lands and airwaves we're meeting tonight, the land of the Nanmari Nanawel people, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. So it is a great pleasure to welcome you all back to the 2022 Chat 10 Looks 3 Live from Llewellyn Hall. And I also want to welcome everyone who's watching from home via the live stream. Annabelle and Lee, it is great to have you back at ANU, and thank you very much for joining us here this evening. This show is always a highlight for me and a great way to wrap up another big year. Now, before I hand over to our stars, as you know, we always have to mix things up here. Um, we're starting with just a little surprise of randomness. And so I was contemplating what to do, and I heard Annabelle talk about her fancy new pizza oven. And so I thought, what, what should we do other than make a pizza on stage? <laughs> So, uh, Annabelle, I know you've said that uh, Breville has not uh, supported you, but they have supported us. So they have literally gifted this pizza oven. And can I say, we're going to give it to Burton and Guerin uh, Hall on campus. Now, this one of the things I guess I've been concerned listening to your podcast over the last year is I feel that friends of yours have not maybe got the attention they deserve. So I'm giving them the opportunity to greet you tonight and provide a little bit of tutorial on how to make a pizza. So let's roll it. This is Stephanie Alexander. Firstly, can I say hello to Lee, Annabelle and all the chatters. That is really my favorite podcast. Thank you so much for asking me to talk about pizza. And I believe that tonight I'm going to be the master of instructing the apprentice, Brian, in the, in the secrets of making a very simple vegetarian pizza. I have chosen to make one that uses potato and rosemary from the garden and mozzarella. What could be easier than that? I also want to say how pleased we are at the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Garden Foundation that we've been able to cooperate with the ANU's Thrive Program and help the students on campus. So, you take your pizza dough, which I have made a very simple pizza dough, and flap it onto an oiled tray. Press it out with your fingers. You can roll it, but I can never see any point rolling it when you've, we've got good fingers. Just press it out like that. Excellent. And then the potatoes I've chosen to use are Dutch creams because they're lovely and waxy 
and even we and they'll go crisp at the edges so they've been boiled for just about two or three minutes in just plain cold water salted water and so then we have rosemary from the garden quite a lot of it uh, salt and pepper up, particularly Brian. pepper in this case Brian, you're falling behind. And a little bit of salt, but the mozzarella cheese is also Where's quite rosemary, salty. Brian? <laughs> there, there we go. Now, I've got the matured mozzarella here. If you were using <clears throat> bocconcini, the, the one that's stored in brine, it's a good idea to pat the slices dry on a piece of kitchen paper so it doesn't bleed all over your pizza. Finishing it off, sprinkle of Parmesan cheese, Another little wave of the olive oil bottle. And now can I say that this pizza is made most successfully by eight-year-olds? So I imagine that this Nobel Prize winner would find this an absolute breeze. So this is now going in a very hot oven for about 10 minutes and that'll be my dinner. Okay, now here's my beautiful pizza all set for me to eat later on. I want to wish everybody a very, very happy Christmas, particularly Lee and Annabelle. And if anyone wants to know more about the Kitchen Garden Foundation, just go to our website, kitchengardenfoundation.org.au. Bye. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Brian. Brian. For one of the world's smartest Thank men, you. you are oh. like a hilarious you. lunatic in almost every respect. I, I can't even... Look, you don't, Thank win, you, you don't win the Nobel Prize for sitting around on your ass. You really don't. <laughs> and also, can I just... God love Stephanie because like, oh. three of my kids have gone, like, gone to a primary school that's lucky enough to have a kitchen garden project and they all eat vegetables now that they wouldn't have otherwise. Although have never yet bred a child who'll eat a tomato fresh. Wow. Why? Why is that? I mean, I give them opportunities. Now, what have you done? Oh, you haven't put the timer on though, Brian. No, no, I pressed it, I think. I don't think you did, mate. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, got to press it, then it starts flashing. So is this, so we are, I mean, Firstly, the Breville sponsorship. I mean, I'm going to bookmark Brian's next Senate estimates <laughs> appearance. No, exactly. <laughs> How does this work? Because there's going to be some very interesting it's questions. designed in Australia, Lee. Coming from the Senate. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, this, this was probably made with ANU technology. Can I just I point mean, out something smoking there? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's, that's perfectly so normal. I it's 450 degrees. We have someone off stage with two fire extinguishers, <laughs> who is the fire marshal. We fall on due policy. Better hope your boss doesn't find out about this, Brian. Oh, that's right, yeah. Now, I wanted to show you, you how we're gonna cut it. I just, can I just say... <laughs> Do you, you have an electric one? one? <laughs> that's Star outstanding. Trek Star Trek Enterprise pizza cutter. Of course. Um, I think we've actually rushed past the point where Brian managed perfectly to get that pizza off the peel and into the oven. I because didn't that, that. that is a point where the, like, the real amateur often slips up. Indeed. Build your pizza on the peel, go to slide it in, stickage. No stickage for you. Polenta.
Polenta, Some right. people use semolina. I'm telling you. I use polenta. semolina. Are you telling me I'm well, missing this is, something? This is white smoking, actually. <laughs> you can peep. Oh, that's looking great. That needs another 30 seconds. This is like... It would be so chat for this venue to have to be evacuated right about now. <laughs> So I was actually just so reminiscing with sales that two years ago we came here and like the theatre was full of smoke. Yep. And I was saying, remember that? And now, <laughs> weirdly enough, here we are again for you a much more close? delicious reason. It, oh, it's close. Yep. See, that's the beep, okay. beep, 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 Brian. I would actually, look, I like a bit of leopard spotting, so I reckon I would just, yeah, I just hold it off. I, I don't, don't think the, take... Does anyone know what leopard spotting is? Well... Pizza nerds do. Look, I can see them nodding there. It's that kind of like spotty kind of thing that you don't get if you cook it in a pizza. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know. This is looking very good. Brian. Um, I've left you speechless, Anna. You really have, actually, because I was running through all of the things that you could possibly do, and I've got to say that this wasn't even this in the top 100. This was not on our top uh, Oh, list. look at oh, that. That's pretty good. That is outstanding. So I'm going to need you to hold it up while I just take a picture of you to, like, immortalise it. Does anyone mind if I do that? Because it just feels like... <laughs> Give me a big smile. So I don't, I don't mean to be a doubting, doubting Thomas, but so will that potato actually be cooked after that amount of time? <laughs> There's a fire in there. That's okay. That's... <laughs> Brian. Don't get the guy with the fire extinguisher out, because... That's why you... That's because you used polenta, Brian. Okay. <laughs> that's like... That was such a kind of British panto moment. My God. It's on fire! I literally... I, I can't hear you. <laughs> I literally looked behind me when the crowd... <laughs> Wow. I'll let you chew on that for the rest Thank of the day. Thank you. Bit. Thank you, Brian. That looks delicious. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's off. Oh, it's off. Do you know what? I actually did say. But... <laughs> <laughs> I can't take how great that is. I can't. I'm actually. This will be a terrible show now because there's no way that we can top that. Uh, Do you know what I did? I did theater. set fire to something in my oven the other day. Did you? And what it revealed to me is, and I actually knew this about myself, it confirmed it. Strangely enough, despite working in live television, I'm really bad under pressure in an emergency. <laughs> and so what, I know this is going to sound so stupid because in hindsight, even I was like, what? So I was doing a new roast potato recipe and I put it called... Is mine not good enough for you? <laughs> That's kind of like what Phil, my ex-husband, said. He was like, oh, are you doing the glass potatoes? I was like, no, no, I'm doing something different. He was like, oh. <laughs> Awkward. Um, I, it called to have the oil heated quite hot before you put the potatoes into the tray. And I don't know I've why. talked you through why none of that bullshit is necessary, right? I know, but, and I don't know why, but I put baking paper in the <laughs> I just thought, oh, well, you know, I don't want the bottom of the tray to get dirty, so I put some alfoil and then some baking paper. Alfoil and then baking oh, paper. My God, I know. Anything like, else? In hindsight... Jiffy fire lighters? I like... know. <laughs> in hindsight, even I was like, ugh. Kindling? 
Anyway, at a certain point, when I've gone to put the potatoes in, I've opened the door and flames, like, spurt out. So I shut the door and just went, oh, shit. That is actually the most sensible thing to do in the well, circumstances. because I'm kind of useless in life at practical things, I, th- I sort of thought when I shut the door, I think that's what you're meant to do. You're meant to starve it of oxygen. And then I thought, well, is that what you meant to do? I'm not really sure. Well, it just burned itself out, so I opened it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then I shut it. Then I thought, shit... I went, there's a fire. So you provided it with multiple bursts of fresh oxygen. <laughs> yes. Which is and one it did, of the things. And it did get bigger. Um, so then I knew that I had a fire extinguisher in the house. It was under the sink. I, I couldn't remember where it was. And then I thought, oh, it's probably under, like, much with my missing handbag. Think like yourself. Where would you have put it? <laughs> it was under the sink. Got it. Was in such a panic, I couldn't really read the instructions on it about pulling the emergency pin or whatever. So then I thought, oh, God, oh, God, I need help. So I ran out of the house. I ran to the next door neighbours. I dinged their ding-dong, and then I thought, no, 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 like, this won't do. I ran back in before they answered the door. So had they, had they answered their ding-dong by this point? No. Like, no right. So they obviously came down at Resume some point. story. Went, Nobody's here. I went, ran back inside, looked, I didn't reopen, but I looked in, could still see flames, rang my ex-husband and said, I've made a fire in the oven. What should I do? He was like, okay, don't put water on it, was the first thing. Don't put water on it. Just leave the door shut. It should burn itself out. Just stand there for two minutes. Is it burning itself out? I was like, well, it kind of is, but there's still like small flames. Anyway, he said, just get a, get a towel, a blanket or something. And get a fire blanket. Throw it oh, don't have one. Get a towel. Ta- you know, so I was like, oh, God. And I'm also very scared of fire. Anyway, in the end, I got, I got it out. It was kind of still like little kind of embers and stuff. I put it into the back yard in the back garden and then I like threw a towel on it <laughs> and it was and then I couldn't cook I had a friend coming around for dinner and when he arrived I was just like oh I just can't cook anything oh, my nerves are shot I couldn't do anything and my kitchen confidence is last night I was grilling putting uh, doing some dumplings in the pan you know how you brown them first and then put water in and then I got really scared about putting the water in because I thought I'm gonna set fire to the house <laughs> I can't cook anything now it's all over for me so you were thinking to be clear what if this water is flammable? No, I thought the oil might be. Oh. Yeah, I thought the oil might catch fire and the water would... I look, just don't worry. But I just... Anyway, long story short, I'm scared of fire. I'm scared of cooking. And that was really triggering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a piece of this pizza. Yes. Ooh. Do. I will too. Yeah. I'll let you have yours first. So Thank you. I'll talk while you have a mouthful of pizza. <laughs> Um, anyway, it's great to be back in Canberra. That was a massive diversion. Um, that is Look, truly... a pot, there's a, he cut you a small one there, you nong. Uh, uh. Oh, 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 I see. Okay. Sorry, guys, this is Thanks. delicious. Um, so, Canberra show, charity, Karinia oh, House. So you said like... <laughs> She's like... I'll talk, you eat, but then I'll ask you to talk about... So, yeah. I know I don't have to introduce Corinna House to anyone in this room, right? Because you're all rusted on fans. And every year we think, oh, who should our charity be this year? And then we can never find anyone better than Corinna House because, mm. well, helping people who need a hand and being massively useful is what Corinna House does. And um, we are right on board with it. So, uh, welcome back again, Corinna House. <laughs> and... If you are this Christmas thinking, I wonder if there's one somewhere I can help anyone, that would be a good way to help. 
send some Dosh Karinya House's way. Um, it is like seriously a highlight of our year to come here, and um, part of it is just lying awake in fear of what Brian will do. <laughs> but I think, you know, so here's something interesting, Sales. When we were talking backstage before, Sales said, because, I mean, Brian really always thinks of something nuts to do. He goes do. to a lot of effort. It does, which right? Which we very much appreciate. Remember when he um, did a perfect bunt dismount on stage right here? Last year, there was a little crab robot running around. There, were the, there was that fantastic woman who runs the Fairy Wren program that you weren't interested enough in, but I was totally glued to. And then... Anyway, um, and Sales is like, what's the bet? Like, after each show every year, he just goes to bed, he wakes up the next morning going like, right, what am I doing next year? <laughs> so, I was talking to a source in Brian's office. I won't name her, let's just call her Lily. Um, <laughs> who said, apparently last year, after the show, he went back to the office and started, didn't even sleep before planning... That's just – that just tells you there's a man who doesn't get enough fun in his life. And I think possibly running a higher education institution over the last two to three years could make for not fun. So this is, you know um, – Wow. Yeah. Um, um, the, the other person other... that I worry who doesn't get enough sleep ahead of these shows is you because I always feel like she has to do the 12 days of Christmas, which – I don't have to, but then I'll never not because... That's right. I feel like you've established the tradition now. And so I always get in a panic thinking that exercise is so complicated. How on earth is she going to write it? And then amazingly this year, it was done two days ahead of time because usually it's getting finished in the car on the way down. Yeah, normally I put a little crumpled up piece of paper in Sales's hand in the green room while she's like shaking and I'm like, oh, here's another quick thing for you to get your head around, mate. (laughs) But no, um, because you were unwell earlier this week and the, basically, Lisa Els has been um, wandering around all week with a rat test shoved up her nose, more or less consistently. Like, how many rat tests have you done? And I know it's not correct to say rat test. Like, how many rats have you done this week? Sounds weird, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was down on the number of rats I normally do. Um, I did about five rats in my rat pack this week. No, I did about six rats because I've been doing one every day to check, oh, God, do I have COVID? I've just got a crusty throat basically now. So anyway, that's a long way of saying, um, I mean, I'm sure that this audience would know how much it pains me to not be able to participate in a musical number. So I'm, I'm bowing out of the 12 days of Christmas this year because of my throat. Yes. Oh, no, shocking. Um, you'll you'll so understand when you hear me rip off a few barking coughs shortly. I've heard the barking cough. It's... Very unattractive. Um, (laughs) Before we do that, though, because we'll crack into that in a second, a couple of little shout-outs. Big shout-out to the pair of teachers from Coffs Harbour that drove all the way here this afternoon. Are you out the back there? Ah. Woo! (laughs) And they are turning around and driving back tomorrow morning. Wow, thank you. That is brilliant commitment. Thank you. Come and say hello. We're going to go sign stuff in the foyer, or as Gwen would say, foyer and, later. And then what about, where's the chatter that was on my flight today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> Ten points to that lady who said hello and then she went, I don't want to take any of your energy. Let's just be silent. LAUGHTER <laughs>
Were you sitting next to each other on the flight? No, um, she was in 9... I, I mean, I checked that fast. She was in 9A, I was in 4C. Oh, okay. Um, no, we, we're on that... Where they put you on the bus to take you out to the plane. Oh, the bus. Anyway, yeah. she said her friend was going to be excited that she met me and because she'd said, I'll keep an eye in case I see Lee on the pl- or Annabelle on the plane. And um, I said, well, you better take a selfie because she might think that you're making it up. Yeah. And so we did a selfie. And you did, did you say? <laughs> and, then, um, and then she said, I won't take your energy and I'm not sitting next to you and I won't talk to you again. <laughs> Very emotionally intelligent. Because <laughs> sales had already entered her white and shaking phase. Like... Try to not cough. Um, the other shout-out is for Jackie Ann. Jackie Ann's in the house, uh, the goddess of cabbage, as you know her. Where are you, Jackie? Oh, yeah, there she is. So, as you know, Jackie Ann is uh, the subject of one of the foundation fables of chatter law because she's the woman who was driving through Maruya and then suddenly got a very sore boob on account of having breast cancer and had to go to the local hospital, didn't know anyone. As a last resort, said uh, on the chat 10 group, I'm in uh, Maruya, I've got a really sore boob. And within 22 minutes, somebody had delivered her a cabbage. Um, Jackie Ann was diagnosed with breast cancer five years ago today. And here she is, hale and hearty. Woo! <laughs> very, very good to have you here and to have you here. Thanks, Jackie Ann. Um, shall we do the song thing then? So, um, Crack on. We have Kate Knott. Platinum Chatter. You would have seen her out there slinging merch because she is also being Gwen tonight. She is it's honorary like Gwen. It's like the grade 10 production of Man of Steel where people were falling like flies and the understudies were getting called up and it's Kate not tonight. It's like she's had to understudy Gwen, she's had to understudy me. She's been called in to fill in for both. But she actually does, she is a proper singer as she well. Is. Like, which is. I mean, I'm not saying that you're oh. not, love. Oh. Like, I suppose she's a proper cellist as well. You're a pro- <laughs> Look, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. She's very good at every single thing that she does. Um, but she is going to be standing in for sales on the Pipes front this evening. Um, and um, I first met Kate Knott at a Sydney Writers' Festival event where we were speaking, and she came up and gave me a salad. And um, I, remember I just, it. yeah, I didn't know her, but later on when I had to like get a lift with an off-duty policewoman to the netball game I was supposed to see with my family, I was so hungry because I hadn't eaten for hours. I'm like, hang on a minute, that woman gave me a salad. It was the best salad ever. And now we're great friends. Thanks also to the person who dropped off the Portuguese tarts for us. I'm counting down the minutes till I can get off stage to go and eat one of those. Would you please welcome Kate, Kate Knott? <laughs> Woo! Here's a mic for you. Thank you. Kate, uh, are you okay? I just want to make sure that everybody knows that this is a consensual arrangement, that you're okay to be here. Totally consensual. (laughs) Just looking a little twitchy. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. (laughs) And um, just tell us a bit about your normal musical theatre activities because, you know, you actually are a practice stage singer. (laughs) You are building me up way too much. Um, uh, I do musical improv. So uh, I have a troupe in Sydney and every comedy festival we will perform an entirely improvised musical uh, that we get prompts from the audience and we will make up the entire thing on the spot, uh, which is 
really fun and not entirely awful. Uh, so if you're ever in Sydney, do come along and see us. We're called Unplanned Melodies. Unplanned Melodies. And the first show I ever went to of Kate's, my dog had just got her period uh, because I wasn't organised enough to get her to sext in time. That was and the I'd... prompt she gave yeah. us. And I... <laughs> And I'm like, that's fine, this will be over in a few days. No, dog periods go for, like, weeks. <laughs> so I was actually, you know, worried about this. And when you said the prompt, we want to sing a blues song, what's the prompt? And nobody said anything, and I thought, my dog's got a period. <laughs> and so, Kate, very... I'm, I'm moving over here because I don't want to turn my back on sales. It's just one of those things. It's oh, like so the I ocean. Do. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Okay. she won't hurt you. <laughs> it's all right. She likes you. Everything is fine. Ah. Anyway, the dog's got a period blues was an amazing piece of work. Did you just hear that cough over there? God, sorry. Telling you, multiple negative tests, I promise. <laughs> All right, Kate and I have rehearsed this one time. <laughs> one time. Backstage. And not even all the way through in no, one no, go. Not, not exactly all the way through, but that is normally about the standard amount of, of like... <laughs> it just gets better. <laughs> you want improv? say, Brian, your pioneering work in uh, dark energy has absolutely nothing on your pioneering work in upstaging people, like I've got to say. <laughs> oh. I don't know, I'm sensing some pretty dark energy. <laughs> it's yeah. just, I, I think it's, he's a master of dark energy, gosh. just quietly. <laughs> now I realise that when I got you to change places, it wasn't sales I was afraid of. <laughs> Of all the nights to have taken a dive. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say some one quick other thing? You know, remember um, a couple of years ago, or was it last year? I can't remember. It's all a blur. Maybe the year before, when you committed that dreadful solecism where you said that only wankers wear their Order of Australia pins in public. I and do. then I'm like, well, Brian's got his on this evening. I do remember that. Um, so now every time I see my check, and he's not wearing his Order of Australia pin tonight. He's wearing his Nobel Prize. <laughs> that's, that, that, I'm, I'm just blown away by that. It's, if I had the Nobel Prize, I said to Brian out the back, I'd wear the big stonking medal the whole time. <laughs> but apparently it weighs like, what, kilo or something? Quarter of a kilo. Quarter of a kilo. That's, you know, anyway. I think you've gone super wanker tonight, Brian, and we all, we all respect it. We all genuflect in front of it. And I think we'll start this song, and whatever you need to do, Brian. <laughs> <clears throat> On the first day of Christmas, Australia gave to me the government of Albanese. On the second day of Christmas, Scott Morrison decreed, that's not my job, and the voting public largely agreed. <laughs> On the 
On, on the, the third day, day, we found out how many jobs had he. <laughs> More on this later, suffice to say that the man has an intriguing CV. <laughs> The campaign began with a Labour tragedy. Albo, can you state the cash rate? Ah, oh, don't tell me, wait. Twas a splatter fest on live TV. On the fifth day, Clive Palmer commenced his spending spree. Rivers of The drop bear has dropped. <laughs> I thought you were a euphonium man. Pardon? I thought you were a euphonium man. Uh, no, a French. Oh, he's the swinger. <laughs> there were six. Oh, we oh. Done that bit yet. yeah, we have. We just yeah, did it. We just did rivers of gold. Oh, no. sh- yeah. Okay, right. Okay. <clears throat> rivers of gold. Took on the elites, won no seats, hope he kept receipts and can find a use for Craig Kelly. There were six days of Liz Trust, meanwhile, across the sea. She only slightly outlived the Queen. <laughs> Boris got the flick, none too quick, cause the silly prick put on one too many lockdown parties. On the seventh day, the US Supreme Court did decree, in terms explicit, we will revisit Roe Wait. We've agreed a plan to a man that we need a ban on abortion that is legal and free. On the eighth day back home, it became unpleasantly clear that the people in leafy suburbs had the screaming shits. Frydenberg was doomed, tick, tick, boom, ScoMo read the room, Major gonna lose the bourgeoisie. <laughs> New South Wales Liberal seats were still nomination free, Scott snapped his fingers, I've got a zinger, perfect for a ringer, just a sec I'll bring her, Catherine D. It's a cunning plan, we'll win fans hating on the trans with religious folk in Western Sydney. But a teal wave was forming across the whole country. Oh no, good heavens, poor Trevor Evans, someone else has karma, rubbed out Dave Sharma. Tim Wilson's crying, what about me? Scomo's politics hit for six. Now a bunch of chicks run the seats with all the liberal money. 
Look at that focus. Look at that focus. <laughs> Extraordinary. Is there anything this man can't do? On the, On the 11th, 11th day, day, said ScoMo, this job is such a breeze. As, As PM, I'm smashing, handsome and dashing. I've got the passion. Why should I ration jobs in this fashion? I could be mashing more jobs on my plate. I'll get the GG to swear me into two or three. Don't tell Josh I took the treasury. On the twelfth day I checked in on the economy How is it going? Inflation's growing Budgets are blowing Confidence slowing Borrowers not knowing how much they're owing Low said rates weren't going Up till twenty-four Sorry that occurred If you heard and took him at your word Welcome to your life of penury. Woo! It was for you, Outstanding. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Oh, there's Bob, by the way. Say hello to Barb, heart and soul of the venue. Bit of, bit of backstage gossip. So you know, I found out when we got backstage tonight, Crab said, Look, Brian sent me a text message earlier today and it doesn't really make sense to me. I just want to read it out to you, see if you can help me out. Brian asked when we sing the 12 days of Christmas, would it be okay if we start on middle C? <laughs> And she said... I'm like, sure, Brian. She's like, she said, I just replied, sure, no problem. But, so what is middle C? <laughs> <laughs> and so, then I had to break it to crab. Just, can you just Google it and get the tone? And then it was, you know, I, I won't bore everyone with the details, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's hard to, yeah, pluck it out of thin air. Mm. So, we didn't. And no. Brian was just like... <laughs> but but Brian was banking on it. Brian was harmony, though, I thought. <laughs> sorry, Brian. Like, I feel like I just have a T-shirt on that says, sorry, Brian. Do you know, like, not only has Brian made a pizza, he learned a whole new instrument to come onto our yes, show. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. And now he's gone back to his office to work on next year's. I don't think he's even backstage. I think he's already back at the, he's you know, back at the office and the word processor. <laughs> now, normally the Canvas show... Um, <laughs> oh, Brian! Legend. <laughs> um, can Seriously, I... like, if you went to a university where Brian was the VC, you'd oh. just be a happy camper, awesome. wouldn't you? Like, and know. also, can I say, as well as Brian being a legend, and he always goes the extra mile for us every time, um, I mean, you just pull that off every year. It's so difficult and amazing. Seriously. Very impressive. Luckily, there's always a lot of decent material forthcoming. 
Now, the Canberra show always is us going through our best of for the year and what we've liked the most of all of the cultural things. So if you're looking for Christmas present ideas, you've come to the right place. But before we do, we thought we would just talk about a few things that we're watching at the moment that are kind of current. So we just thought we'd talk about... Bleeding edge matters to get out of the way. Yep. So, the Harry and Meghan doco. (laughs) So I thought, I'm not watching that. That's ridiculous. And then the other night, I did start watching it. <laughs> God, and I what's your take? couldn't sleep. I was a bit buzzed. And I went, yeah, I'll start watching that uh, Harry and Meghan nonsense. Well, I found it a lot more interesting than I thought I would, same. actually. Yeah. I, I was kind of the same where I felt, uh, do you know what? I felt, felt like I had to watch it because everyone else was watching it. Um, and it's actually way more interesting than I thought. And I, it dawned on me, I think one of the reasons is because... The royal family, most of what we know from the royal family has come from people kind of um, tangential to the royal family, so butlers, you know, spilling the beans or people like that. And so, third under scullery maid, singing like a canary to the Daily Mail. And so this is kind of an unprecedented level of first-hand detail. And I was thinking, actually, the only time that we've gotten anything remotely like this was when Diana did the Panorama interview back in the 1990s, in 1995. And as everyone would remember, especially if you've recently watched the new season of The Crown, that was incredibly um, scandalous that someone from inside was actually speaking frankly. But this is that on steroids because they've, they kept all their contemporaneous, you know, iPhone diaries and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that's one of the reasons it's so compelling that we are getting now this first-hand account of what went on. And there's so many in the bits I've watched so far um, kind of things that are said that they don't explicitly say stuff, but it's so clear. Like I, I saw in episode one a grab where Harry says... You know, there's a tendency, especially among, among the men in this family, to marry people that on paper seem like the right person, but they're not really the person that you feel like as your soulmate for the rest of your life. And then, of course, that just seems like the most god Well, it kind of refers to Charles and Diana, but it also feels like the most god-awful dig at his brother and Kate Middleton. Um, and so it's kind of compelling on that level as well. But the, the funny thing about the series is actually the lack of resemblance of the program to the critique. Like, I mean, it seems like there's kind of a series of tribes responding to the content in this most incredibly overblown way. So, like, what was that stat that I saw about some newspaper in the UK that devoted its first 28 pages of coverage to this, to the thing, like, on the first day that it came out? I was thinking it's a little tiny bit excessive. I mean, it's interesting, but not that interesting, surely. Um, it, the other thing I found interesting too is, um, you know, he's talking, Harry talks a lot about the harassment of his mother by the press and it is awful and, and some of that archival footage that you watch of when the kids are just really small children and the snappers are saying to them, oh, you know, Harry, can you pose and stand on the ski field or do whatever? It, it, do, it does seem extraordinarily abusive, particularly also that not only is the press demanding it but that the family's kind of offering it. Um, and then, of course, you know, when they have to walk behind the coffin, you can't help but look at that and go, God, the brutality of that. But um, it's, you know, Harry talks a lot about the, the loss of the privacy and the intrusion and stuff. And then there's a bit where Diana says something like um, how things had changed, where she used to, 
understand that when she got out of the car and went to a public function, there was going to be a whole lot of flashes and snaps. But then she said, oh, it's gotten so bad now, I can't leave my front door without that. And I was thinking, well, that's everybody's life these days because everyone's got, you know, the camera in their phone and you don't need a bank of cameraman out the front of your house. You can be on a plane and someone could pull out their phone or whatever. Oh, every time I walk out my front door. Just <laughs> but then Harry thinking like, well, Harry and Meghan have kind of, um, they're subjected to that level of intrusion. You're supposed and to call them H&M, by the way. H&M. Oh, that's really grated on me. That's very say. weird. It's and very I grating. Like it. um, they've brought that level of intrusion now on themselves. And I guess they would say it's their choice and that they're in control of it as opposed to other people being in control of it. But it does seem like an alarming level of kind of for people that feel like there's been so much intrusion to put yourself out like that I feel somewhat discombobulated by it well look I just think there was a whole lot of um commentary and I know it was part of it remember I went and like attended the royal wedding uh after doing a chat 10 show in Brisbane where yeah got on a plane and then oh my gosh I don't like to remember it um but um you know, there was a whole lot of, well, this is the, the monarchy being modernised, etc. Mm. And now it's been like warp speed modernised to the point that it's exactly like any other institution where there's people, you know, right. using their media skills to get a certain version of history to become the dominant one. It will be kind of interesting to see, I mean, the palace hasn't responded so far, but it'll be kind of interesting to see over time how they do because their traditional approach to stuff's been silence and just kind of stonewalling. Um, and, but you know, they're operating in a modern context as well. And so clearly what they've done in the past is try to background against people and, and you know, manage things kind of in the shadows. It's going to be interesting to see how they... Yeah, but they've also got a huge contingent of media defenders now. Like you've got whole um, mastheads that are like, what would the Queen make of this? Shame on you, yeah. you terrible ginger nut, you know, yeah. and, and your you know, rapscallion Harry wife. finished. Fie on the... Can't ever return to Britain I bite now. my thumb at you, etc. And you're like, yeah. well, okay, like, because as if those newspapers don't love information. Like, yeah. I hate that you're providing us with all this free content that fills 28 pages of our newspaper. God damn you to hell. And I just think, well, anyway. But no one's ever very honest about their um, their stakes in this game, are they? Also, um, a bit like Edward and Wallace Simpson, like, hell of a lot of pressure for this to be the love of your life. God. Hope that works out. <laughs> yeah, hope that works out. <laughs> Because that is some serious scorched earth there. <laughs> Have you finished it? Have you watched the no. the third? You know the it. second half, the no. second. No, but someone else told me the, the electrifying material. Someone else told me the final three episodes they think are better than the first three. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. Do you have you seen the? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> great. That's, I'm yeah. not done yet. Will I get no. there? I don't know. Will I continue? Will I watch the rest of it? Are you going to? Um. It, look, as you said, it was more interesting than I anticipated, whether it's going to be like six hours or more worth of interesting. I'm not 100% sure. The one thing I kind of wonder about them is, are they going to be interesting? I love that random cackler back there, whoever that was, just like... <laughs> um, are they going to be interesting people? Because so far, they're only talking a lot about kind of themselves in this world. And I was thinking about it thinking... What are the odds that they'll get onto anything else, do you think? Well, pretty slim. But I was thinking, like, you know, if you... If, like... God, this, it's impossible to say this without sounding vain, but if you or I... On you go, love. We're all... If, if you or ardent. I were Prince Harry, 
and we had his life experiences, we would be able to craft amazing anecdotes out of that and make hilarious stories out of the just crazy happenings and people Actually, that we would yeah, have met. you're right. You know, right? I think we'd do a better job of that, Doc. I think we'd be... <laughs> I think we'd do a better job of being Prince Harry than Prince Harry. Absolutely. No. Actually, that's correct. Do you think? Like, you're, you're so right because essentially all you've got for three hours is like, this is our truth and no one understands our truth. When I want to hear, what about when the Archbishop of Canterbury... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it like, kind of like, you know... I want to hear stories about minor European royalty. We basically want Harry to be David Niven or Dave Grohl or An Tom evening Hanks with or... Yeah, exactly. Prince Harry. That's, yeah. And so I'm waiting to see, are we going to get some wit? Are we going to get some, you know, and so far it's very earnest and there's not really, you know, much. The most interesting thing is Harry's affinity for Botswana and him going down there and the amazing photos and how much he loves it and his friend. The I like the bit with the hummingbirds. Oh, I don't think I've seen the hummingbird bit. You have, you just didn't register it because you don't register small, adorable birds. But, like, there's a really nice bit where he's, like, showing his son hummingbirds and he oh. says, you won't get an opportunity to see hummingbirds very often, so you should pay attention. And the kid's like, yeah, right. you know, playing with a box or something. And he's like... So the other, the other thing that we... Still not interested. Did you catch that? <laughs> just like... The other thing that we've both been watching, which everyone's watching, is The White Lotus. And uh, we both managed to get all the way through that. What does that mean? No, I haven't. Future of the monarchy. Mm, White Lotus. Sure. I watched that to the end. Yeah. Um, I've not got... No, I'm I'm only two episodes in. Oh. I've not watched the whole thing. Okay. Okay, so you've seen the whole thing. I have. Okay, so hit me with your take. (laughs) I'm just trying to, like, not give anything away. Um, No, no, I'm not going to give anything away. I, I just... I. I enjoyed it a lot, actually. It's, it's quite different from the first White Lotus, which was just a sort of generalised, you know, how awful are people kind of thing. Everybody was awful in that um, first series. The second series is definitely much more of a whodunit. You know, it's a kind of... Um, uh, you know that somebody's dead, several people, and you spend the whole series trying to work out who it is that ends up dead floating in the water. So it is actually a much more of a tense mystery thing. Plus, um, the people are a bit more, like you do tend to identify with them a bit more or feel a bit more sympathy for them, not all of them by any stretch. But also, um, the thing that it shares with the first series is just this incessant ratcheting tension that they achieve through music and through um, shot choice, there's just this sort of unmistakable unease that underpins everything, even though they're in this beautiful, like, beautiful tourist area and everything is gorgeous. You're just never, ever quite at rest. Okay. um, That's interesting because I feel like I'm two episodes in. I feel like, actually, there's not a lot of tension. And what I was going to say about it was... Well, two things. Firstly, there's two things that I really miss from the first season. One, Connie Britton's hair. Always. Two... Any TV series should just have, like, a dressmaker's dummy with Connie Britton's hair. And, like, you know how they used to go, like... Tick, swish it every now and again. Lovely fun. You know how every show would be, like, with special guest Heather Locklear? Should be with special guest Connie Britton's hair. Mm. Um... And also Murray Bartlett, because he was mm-hmm. so great in this, in season one of The White Lotus. And so like any show where there's a character that you really love, it's like, oh, I just miss him. 
But I feel like, to me, I, at the moment, I'm like, well, what are the stakes here? And as you say, the stakes are that um, there was a, you know, and I'm not spoiling anything because it's scene one, there's a body floating in the ocean. Um, but we don't know whose body that is, and I don't care about any of the characters yet, two episodes in, and so I feel like, well, why am I watching on? It seems kind of, there's not forward momentum to the plot. There's been a lot of, so far, establishing of, you know, these are these people and, and this is who they are, but there's no forward momentum yet. So I feel like I'm not very two invested. episodes. I mean, you know. I've watched two episodes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because yeah, because I felt like everyone's watching it. So right. I feel like I have to. So you're going like to watch a third just out of general feelings well, of social obligation? Probably. <laughs> I think so. And also because I it's just It's definitely like, worth sticking around for, I think. Also, I just like looking at Sicily. Sure, fair enough. So, well, that's um, enough reason yeah. to watch the whole thing, really. Okay, so 2022 in culture. Favourite TV? <sighs> <laughs> thing is, I think I know what you're going to say. So it's like that thing when you go to a restaurant and you're like, I know that sales is going to order X... So okay, well, why I don't guess, you guess? I'm going to I say guess, three things. You tell I guess me. I better have the clams <laughs> because. Uh, you, tell me what you reckon I'm going to say because I've got three things. What, oh, okay. what would you guess? Oh, you're definitely going to say better things. And the reason that I think you're going to say better things is because you text me about it about 10 times a day. <laughs> and like, she's up to, like, she's watched, she's ahead of me now. She's about to finish the I've fifth actually finished it. <gasps> yeah, I finished it. But you said you'd wait I know, for me. I couldn't. <laughs> I had to watch on. We had an Sorry, agreement. I couldn't stop. <laughs> it was like promising to pull out before real? I ejaculated. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Your beautiful theatre. <laughs> I couldn't stop. <laughs> you are very full of surprises. Um, oh, God, that's really annoying because I've stopped watching it because we had a talk about maybe watching the last... Watch on. So, Sales was like paranoid that they were going to kill the, prim- the principal oh. character off, right, Pamela I don't want to make any spoilers. Okay. Oh, God. And like, so she kept texting me like, don't, because she thought I was ahead of her. She's like, don't say anything, but honestly, if, if this character dies, I will go to bed and cry for three days. I can't handle it. Um, how can I find some help with this? So that's how I know that you're so into it. And it is actually just spectacular television and I wasn't even aware of it up until this year. So while we're, you know, celebrating it as a best of 2022 thing it's been around for years we just didn't notice it is of course on my list and it's um one of those things that it's you know you you called it and said you need to watch this show you're going to love it and I've absolutely loved it and it's that happy thing where when you discover a show that has been around and you realize there's five seasons of this for me to watch yay and they're only like 22 minutes so you can quickly knock one off before you fall asleep but um I could you please not not say knock one off before you go to sleep (laughs) because I feel like you're establishing a really unfortunate kind of it's true um the one thing I would say about better things is I think there's a possibility that some people who watch that show might find Pamela Adlon um the Sam Fox the character's name is I might find her annoying is there anyone who's watched it who's found her annoying okay good I'm glad okay but I hang, on, hang on let's run a control here who's watched it hands up 
Oh, yeah, okay. okay. Right. So, like, okay, so a few none of eight people has found her annoying. No, that's – well, eight, eight out of eight's good. No, she's, she's so got, got like, it's on a, Disney Plus, right? It's on Disney Plus, yeah. I highly recommend it. Co-written so by Louis C.K. or the first couple of seasons are and starring Pamela Adlon, who has been in Louis. She is just – an unbelievable actor. She was in yeah. Californication as well. She was Runkle's wife, Cokie Smurf. Um, she's, she's got quite a um, kind of, oh, I don't know how you describe Smoky, it. Smoky, husky. Smoky, husky kind of voice. She's very, she's tiny. She's really kind of cute. And I, I think she's adorable. But I could, I, watching her, I was thinking, oh, she's got enough kind of defined mannerisms that some people might find her annoying. I don't see how you could, but I can see how you, she might not be to I your taste. I just find her totally adorable. Where anyway, are these people same, who would find same. her annoying? But so for anyone who doesn't, well, a lot of people obviously don't know the show. It's about a single mother who's a working actor. It's loosely autobiographical of Pamela Adlon's life. She's about 50. She has three daughters. Um, and she's raising them as a single mother and she's got a collection of friends is basically the premise of it and her mother, who's British, lives over the road. And, uh, and she's got a kind of loser ex-husband who's never around so she does yep. everything yep. and also I think finances him a If bit you too. watched Louis, it's not dissimilar in vibe to Louis. In the Cackler's back. <laughs> Put your Look, hand up, Cackler. I love you. Where it's, are you? Uh, it's here. <laughs> But, like, the thing is that Pamela Adlon does that cackle. Like, she's... She goes... One th- <laughs> she goes... <laughs> and it's, like, it's actually completely adorable. So, Cackler, you are in good company. There's some good cameos, too. Matthew Broderick shows up. There's some other great actors who kind of appear. But it's... The, the general premise is, um, no matter how much of a shit you are, that your mother's always kind of around, basically, if you're lucky. Um, and it's got that vibe that Louis got where it's a little bit melancholic... Um, but also funny at the same time. Anyway, it's a great, great show. But so, what else was on your list? Uh, well, um, I really liked Bad Sisters. Um, the the it's another murder mystery series. I gotta say something about my television viewing this year. It's been really sort of sporadic and weird. And you know, when I was going through all these lists, I'm like, what did I do this year? I think I just did a lot of, like, lying around and moping and kind of stuff because I've been on leave as well. I should have, like, I should have read a thousand books. I should have written several. I mean, I should have done more stuff. But anyway, I got my shoes on tonight and a frock on, so, like, with, you know, I'm punching above my weight. But, um, but I, God, I love that series because I would watch the hell out of anything that Sharon Horgan does. Um, and this story, which is of, like... A bunch of Irish sisters, um, one of whom is married to this total asshole, who you know at the beginning of the series that he's dead because it sort of pretty much opens with his funeral, and it's clear that like the sisters have been wanting to do him in for years, and really the the series is about their past attempts on his life, <laughs> and, and the tension is well at what point. Um, do they succeed and who killed him, like, in the end, because they've all had a crack. And that is actually more tense than it sounds. <laughs> and that does sound good. And, and it's sounds, also incredibly yeah. funny about sisters and about something that I think Better Things is also a little bit about, which is about families and how they are just uncontrollably messy and sometimes, you know, there are there's business that never gets concluded and there's just stuff that happens that nobody can ever be cool with, but you just kind of keep on going. And um, that's particularly what I loved about both of those series. Um, 
that reminds me a bit of one of my other favourites for this year, which is the new season of Borgen, which is the Danish political drama that came out a few years ago. You know how sometimes when a show's... It's been rested for a while, there's various ways that people might pick it up. So they might... Like Succession season two, they picked it up from pretty much the second that Kendall had left the press conference podium. So it was picked up... Season two, even though it was a year later, it was like five minutes after the end of season one. Whereas other shows, you know, kind of just accept that time's passed. And so Borgen... I thought did an absolutely amazing job of moving that show into the present day. And so they touched on in the world of politics and media that that shows in all of the contemporary issues around, say, identity politics, cancel culture, missteps on social media that um, um, Katrina Fonsmark, the television journalist who's now the head of the network, um, she gets into a spat with one of her anchors over an identity kind of thing and it plays out really badly for her. There's a subplot about or a major plot line about um, kind of economics versus environmental concerns because um, Begita wants to develop this um, or do this sort of clean energy thing which affects Greenland. They want to build an oil pipeline and they want to have sort of self-determination over their territory. Like it just feels really, really contemporary. Can you speak Danish is my main question now. After watching two seasons of it, can you no. speak Danish? I don't even know how to say no in Danish. I know tuck I can say yes. tuck, but yes. We can only say yes in Danish. But the thing I was thinking of when you talk about family was the other thing they've done really well is because when we met Begita in season one, she had youngish kids and she was with her husband and then the marriage breaks down and she's clearly a workaholic. And then so by this season, the kids are grown up and so you kind of see what her relationship with the kids is like now that they're kind of adults. And it's like fine, but not close. And so she's kind of wrestling with all of these. She doesn't really have any friends and the kids are kind of friendly, but not super tight, but they're kind of a bit tighter with their dad. And so you're kind of seeing the way, you know, that a, a life kind of unfolds. Anyway, I thought they did a fantastic job um, of that. The other show that I absolutely loved this year, which was just pure escapism, was The Parisian Agency on Netflix. Oh, God. So it's this a, is that French real estate oh. show, right? <laughs> so it's escapism. She's bought 13 chalets just on the strength of it. It's unbelievable. It's both the escapism of... The real estate, which is amazing, and, and just Paris is so divine. But also the family is just so heavenly. The parents are divine. The sons are also handsome. The grandmother's awesome. Like, the whole thing So, hang on. It's is, like one family buying up real estate. They all, like, what? They all work in this real oh, estate the agency. agency. Right. Yeah, the parents start. So, presumably it. there's like crazed clients it, and so I, I think, and it kind of becomes clear from one of the sons' wives, actually both of the sons' wives, that... The family, it's a little bit culty, like, you know, you're in the family or you're dead to us kind of vibe and everyone works in the real estate agency or you're, you're out kind of thing. Sort of like the British monarchy, but... Like. It's a little bit like that, exactly. But there's one episode in particular in... There's only two seasons in season two where they're trying to sell... Some very, very rich person wants to buy a chalet in the snowfields. It's like they go to this episode into... The, I forget where it is, the Pyrenees or somewhere, and they go and look at these snow houses. And, um, oh, my God, I've Snow met, houses... <gasps> I've never seen anything. It's the most luxurious real estate I've ever seen. It was just gobsmacking. So just as a bit of escapism, and it's just because it's in French with the subtitles, so it's all just... It's just like, oh, God. It's, it's absolute heaven. Last time I watched a French show that you recommended, which is The Bureau, oh. I just... 
I just didn't sleep for months, oh. I think. Like, because I kept going to bed and watching another episode, and then I'm like, I'll just watch another one. And well, then, then I started having dreams that I was being tortured in the desert. I put a, a post in the Chat 10 group about my fear as I was approaching the end of Better Things that they would kill off a major character, and that I, mean, I was kind yeah. of terrified. And um, I asked in the Chat 10 group, does anyone know this feeling of like impending doom that you get sometimes with TV shows? And someone reminded me, oh, yes, when Malatru was being held prisoner in Iraq, I was like, oh, God, that was so bad. Oh. Oh. Well, that's some lovely festive viewing for everybody, I think. We can all agree. <laughs> okay, you know, we film. are sort of like, it's really getting on. Like, I know, I we mean, better and keep crack along. Like, I know. So, yeah, I, what about I don't talk about my things and you talk more about your things? No, uh, <laughs> at least the film category will well, be it's quick. Like Christmas Day family it lunch. Is, it is. <laughs> I, the film thing, though, I just couldn't... I hardly saw any films at all this year. Why is that? And my favourite film that I saw this year, and this is like a shocking crime against contemporaneous reportage of good films to watch, because the best film that I loved seeing this year, it was a 2011 film that I watched with my kids oh. um, that Jeremy found, and it's called The War of the Buttons. Oh. It's a French film. Oh, you've seen it? Oh. Maybe everybody saw it 10 years ago when it was a massive hit, and I missed it. It's called La Guerre de Bouton. <laughs> um, and it's the story of these like two villages um, of children that like they have a war between the children of the adjoining villages and it's like a full military campaign and because they're all like super poor and their parents don't have any money they um, like the worst thing you can inflict on your child enemy is to cut off the button off their shirt because buttons are really hard to come by and you get like massively like like in trouble with your parents if you come home without buttons so that's what they do they capture buttons off each other's shirts anyway it turns into this very beautiful story about um Oh, it's sort of about succession, really. <laughs> like, there's this kid who leads the the group of the home village and his dad's dead and his um, mum is really struggling. So to get to school, he's got to get up early and do all the farm jobs and then go to school and then come home and do all the farm jobs and stuff. And his teacher thinks he's really smart and he needs to go off to, like, college and he's kind of, like, resistant. Anyway, it's the most... I just cried buckets. It's, oh. like adorable, beautiful film. So if there's one that you are looking forward to watch with kids over the festive period, I would totally recommend it. Oh and I apologise that it's not even in any way a new film. Now I feel really shallow because my pick's George oh. Michael Freedom Uncut. <laughs> Which is that the, is like nobody here is surprised that that is well, your pick. I'm just surprised it wasn't Top Gun That Maverick. was the, uh, true. That's the documentary about George Michael if you're a child of the 80s. I think it's streaming now actually. Oh God, it's just so good. Get on to it um, and also I was going to give an honourable mention to you You took me to see Cabaret <gasps> which I'd never seen and was just 50 so years old good. this year that film oh, and it was so contemporary and then that put me into watching um, the Godfather series for some reason but anyway I don't know why but no, because the, the connective tissue was yeah, like was famous films that you embarrassingly haven't seen oh, yeah, yet I hadn't right. seen the so Godfather so you just that's went right. straight and to the Godfather and Jer- that's right because as we're walking out of the cinema Jeremy said oh it didn't win best film that, that year it was the Godfather or something and I was like geez, the Godfather must be good Jeremy was like mate oh, for God's sake the Godfather must be good. Anyway, The Godfather 2 was um, the one I put that was the most amazing film. Um, okay, favourite book. I'm just going to, so we don't run out of time. How much time do we have? 
Um, well, it's up to Brian, really. It's 8.40 now. Oh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll crack along. Um, so my favourite non-fiction... Brian, are you happy? Are you relaxed? Good. Relaxed. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the theatre hasn't burned down, so we're ahead, you know, <laughs> tactically. <laughs> my favourite non-fiction, and it's so strange with the royal theme, is The Palace Papers by Tina oh, Brown. Oh, you love that, right? I loved it. And again, a bit like the Harry and Meghan thing, I sort of thought, oh, I really don't have any interest in reading this. And a friend had read it and said, it's actually really, really interesting. And it was the first book that I read when I finished work, and it was just there, so I picked it up. And it was it was amazingly... Well, actually, it's the opposite of Prince Harry in that Tina Brown knows how to identify and tell a good anecdote. And so it's just packed full of interesting anecdotes. And Why couldn't we have implanted Tina in the oh. in Frogmore Cottage? Oh, she would have She would have picked up the pace. So that was great. And um, my favourite fiction was Here Goes Nothing by Steve Toltz. Oh, um, unshakable very, Toltz fan. I am a very big Steve Toltz fan. Very hard to explain what that book's about, <laughs> like all Steve Toltz <laughs> books. Um, Oh, God. It's, it's about a, a guy who's dead, who, who's dead from the start. His wife, who he was alive, called Grace, who's this crazy marriage celebrant. Um, and it's just full of, like Steve Toltz's writing, it's kind of just his funny theories about life and the universe and the way the world works. So it's set in the near future. And so in the near future, they refer to this COVID period as the fattening. <laughs> So it's just full of f- stuff like that that just tickles my fancy. I love the man. I just, yeah, I celebrate everything he writes. So if he writes a book a year, you'll just never have to bother with this segment ever again because it'll just always be that. Um, I, my favourite fiction book this year um, was Tracy Lien's All That's Left Unsaid. Um, it is quite a recent publication, I think. So, wow, good on me for actually being up to date. Um, so, I've talked about it on the pod before. Um, Tracy Leanne is actually, like, she grew up in Sydney but now lives in Brooklyn, I think. <sighs> um, but the story is set in Cabramatta. It's during the sort of, like, heroin wars. The, the principal character is a woman called Key who's grown up in Cabramatta. She's... Um, left Sydney, she's working in Melbourne as a journalist but she comes back to Sydney because her her brother is murdered her brother's called Denny he's like the straight A student, he's definitely like the star of the family and he's gone to a school dance and been murdered in this restaurant after the school dance and it's just like what, you know, and so her mission is like she's investigating, well look how people, what how on earth did this kid come to be murdered? And what it turns into, it's kind of like a murder mystery, um, but what it, its real strength is this really achingly observant kind of piece of work on first-generation migrants and their children and, um, and all of these invisible sort of sinews that pull people in different directions. It's like an incredibly moving, very readable, like I read it super fast, but um, it's like a really amazing piece of work. So um, that's um, best fiction of the year. Um, I was just trying to list all the non-fiction books that I've read this year. I'm thinking, geez, I feel like I've not read that many. I read Nikki Sava's book as soon as it came out, of course. Very enjoyable read uh, and just full of just 
There's a lady who can identify a good anecdote. Oh. And, um, yeah, it definitely, um, it's a great conclusion to the last couple of years where you go like, oh, right, okay, yep, 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 yep. Um, terrific. So I definitely recommend that, particularly for this audience as some are reading. But I also just, in the last couple of days, and this sounds like I haven't done my homework, but like really it's a great lake-breaking book that I just read that I've been trying to find, actually. I've been sort of bumbling around trying to find it and finally came across it and read it in one day. It's Amy Thunig's um, memoir. Um, now, you may know Amy. She's an um, academic. She's on the drum quite a bit. Um, and this is her memoir um, and it is absolutely extraordinary like I just couldn't put it down Um, a story of a difficult life with a family that is alternately close and neglectful and abusive and it is kind of reminds me a little bit of Rick Morton's book, um, 100 Years of Dirt, and also a tiny little bit of Trent Dalton's Boy Swallows Universe because it has this extraordinary quality of great storytelling about very, very hard times, and it's hard to read in places, but has this sort of uh, really strong through line about love and dignity even in really um, through difficult experiences. Anyway, I I really, I couldn't put it down. I really recommend it. It's terrific. It's called Tell Me Again. Um, Podcasts for this year. I haven't listened to a lot of pods this year. Oh, I've listened to thousands. Ask me. I did particularly enjoy Against the Rules, which is Michael Lewis's latest podcast. And the season I listened to was about the decline of the ref in public life, whether it's the respect for sporting referees, judges, um, historians, art valuers. It's, it's, again, another person that knows how to identify a great anecdote. Uh, it's a really interesting. He's a great storyteller. Loved it. Okay, well, I've got to tell you a podcast that I listened to just this afternoon because Jeremy was telling me about it um, in the car. I'm like, let's listen to that. And then I fell asleep. And then I woke up and then I listened to it. Um, because... Um, I'm going to whip through this because I know time is of the essence, but, like, I've talked to you before about the podcast series Cautionary Tales with Tim Harford, who's, like, an economist but also is just a dude who can spot a great anecdote from history and draw some conclusions from it. And the one that I listened to today is from the new series. It's quite recent. And it's called The Inventor Who Nearly Ended the World. And I know I'm an idiot and I miss things, but, like... This is the most bizarre story. And, you know, like this series, Cautionary Tales, had a few series and it's really about learning lessons from history, weird, stupid things that humans have done and how do we avoid making that mistake again. Um, Anyway, this is about the inventor Thomas Midgley Jr., of whom I had not heard. Um, So he was sort of like a chemist uh, and um, industrial inventor, um, worked for uh, General Motors, was born in Beaver Falls. I note that. Um, That's not relevant. Just, um, it's just, (laughs) just always go, Beaver. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so he was commissioned to try and invent a new um, way of refrigerating things because um, because back in the 30s, um, 
nobody had refrigeration, Every, all refrigerants were sort of poisonous and it was so risky to work with them that you couldn't have one in your house. And so he invented um, the substance or the chemical compound that became known as Freon, was marketed as Freon, chlorofluorocarbons in a sense, in essence. And of course, um, it was a massive hit, very, very um, profitable Sooner or later, everybody had a fridge in their house, um, and Freon, it was um, it was discovered, could be useful for other things like um, powering aerosols and so on. Fabulous, 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 fabulous. And he was a real showman as well. Like he proved that it was not harmful by um, doing a press conference where he like um, took a big lungful of Freon and then blew it onto a candle to show that it wasn't either flammable or poisonous. So, hooray! Yay for Freon! And then, um, a number of decades later, there was this sort of, like, um, student scientist who was given a job by their supervisor, like, um, oh, I don't know, what can you research? Oh, look into chlorofluorocarbons, you know, what happens to them? And this... um, student is like, oh, what happens to chlorofluorocarbons? When they drift up into the atmosphere, what happens? Oh. And then he's done all this work and he's gone, hang on a minute, I actually think that what will happen when these chlorofluorocarbons drift up and disappear harmlessly, what they're actually going to do is completely murder the ozone layer. And he and his supervisor are like, holy crap! <laughs> that is right! That is what's going to happen! And so they wrote an article for Nature and everyone got a bit flappy about it, but then all of the manufacturers of Freon were like, it's not a big deal, shut up, shut up. Um, Anyway, in the end, the world did get anxious about it and um, they won the Nobel Prize. Um, And (laughs) Anyway, so that's one thing that this guy invented, Midgley, and I know I'm a long anecdote teller. I can see that your strained expression tells me that I've already exhausted my time, but it gets even better because as... um, Then he invented AIDS. No, worse actually, worse. I mean, pretty bad. Um, Midgley, says um, Tim at the beginning of the podcast, has like two inventions that nearly destroyed the world and one invention that killed him personally, right? I'm just going to tell you because I'm going to ruin the surprise, but who cares? Because it's such a good story, right? Like, so the invention that he invented that killed him personally was he got polio, you know, around about when everybody was getting polio. And so he was um, contained to his hospital bed and he invented a system of pulleys and hoists that would allow him to, like, move around, even though he was paralysed, and he strangled himself on one of the hoists. Like, so he invented something that was brilliant up to the point that it killed him. But um, backtracking to his second major invention, um, he was... He was enlisted by General Motors to look into something called engine knock, which is this, like, in early petrol engines, you'd get this knocking sound that was something about pistons firing too early with the kind of combination of fuel and oxygen in the blah, blah. Anyway, I'm sure other people know more about this than I do. But um, he worked out, he went, he used to carry a copy of the periodic table around with him. You're so tense right now. Shush. Um, and he, uh, he worked out that you could actually cure engine knock by just putting lead in the petrol. So he invented leaded petrol. And um, 
as Tim Harford says, that killed millions of people uh, before it was phased out. And Tim Harford says, as a result, today, like anyone else in my age bracket, I'm about five IQ points dumber than I should be because of that invention. And that includes you wow. and me, pal. Wow. Cautionary tales, the invention that... Wow. The inventor that nearly ended the world. Okay, favourite live experience. It's on. It's down the road. Cressida Campbell at the National Gallery. Oh, oh, yeah. If you haven't been, you've just got to go and you've got to watch the video about her process. It's so, so good. Sales gave me such a talking to about this that when I entered, I didn't look at any of the paintings. I went straight to the video yeah. and then I went back and started at the beginning and that was a really good technique because mm. whenever I've seen her work before, I'm a bit like, how do you... How does that work? Because I know yeah. it's a, like a woodcut, but like it also looks like a painting. How she carves the wood in an incredibly detailed way, and then she hand paints the wood that she's carved, and then she brings down one bit of paper and presses it on the painted bit after spritzing it with water, and that's her one print that she takes off the it's, thing. It's no pressure. It's, what about when she lays the bit of paper on the oh. thing and, and then peels it off? It's very, speaking of tense moments with a lot of stake in the plot, there is certainly in that. Um, I'd also say if you get a chance to see James Crabb, who's an accordion player. I saw him with the Australian Chamber Orchestra. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and it wasn't really live, but it was a filming of a live performance. I'm going to count it as live. Um, the National Theatre's Frankenstein, which I sent you off to see at the Dendy, and we haven't really talked about it. When she says, I sent you off to see at the Dendy, what she actually means is that she booked eight tickets for her family and my family to all go, and then uh, the day before said, well, I can't come. I'm like, you know. So... <laughs> And then my 16-year-old daughter had a birthday party that day too. I'm like, oh, my God. So I went, missed my, well, one of my daughter's 16th birthday celebrations and then just enlisted a rogue bunch of chatters. I'm just like on the group, who wants to come? And so I had a lovely time with a lovely bunch of so this, chatters. This so when, when she says, I sent Crab along, she means I organised it and then I pulled out and left her with the job of organising who would attend. This is the production Back to with you. Benedict Cumberbatch as the creature. So did you think it was amazing? I mean, I know that's not a very open-ended question. Yeah, is it? <laughs> it isn't. I mean... Have you done interviewing before, I'm wondering, because like, it's just... <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit rusty having been off. <laughs> so, honestly, that is a goldmine, that National Theatre live stream thing, because you can go on there and you can watch all of these incredible productions. And there's another Cumbersnatch one of Hamlet, I think, that, you know, it's, it's just... Oh, but he didn't even but seem like a human being. He doesn't that. even say a word for the first 10 minutes. It's just him being born out of the sort of membrane of the Frankenstein production system. And I, it's just you're watching Benedict Cumberbatch greased up, wearing a G-banger, trying to learn how to walk. If he was a, a man of his age, learning how to walk. And it is like... It's like watching a greasy foal that's just been born and it's absolutely the most extraordinary piece of physical theatre oh. you could imagine. He's like, he is a creature. Um, what was your favourite live experience? 
Well, I was containing myself to actual live experiences, unlike you. So, I mean, I, and I, you know, Serrano in Melbourne, um, Virginia Gay's adaptation oh, yeah. um, was just glorious theatre. Um, and I hope that will tour. Surely it must. It was such a massive hit. Um, and the beauty and gentleness of this sort of queer retelling of the Serrano legend was just, yeah flawlessly executed, also by Virginia, who, you know, writes it, directs it, acts in it, etc. I mean, you just want to slap her, don't you, generally? Um, but also, like, this other thing that I saw um, quite recently with my daughter, um, it was a Bell Shakespeare production called The Lovers, and it's an adaptation of A Midsummer Night's Dream, um, written by a young Australian uh, playwright called Laura Murphy, um, and she did a number of very sensible things to Midsummer Night's Dream, like turning it into a sort of a pop musical with some hip-hop angles, also totally erasing various elements of the plot, like the stupid thing with the people who are putting on the play, gone. Um, bottom, gone. Fantastic. So it just becomes about the um, about the, the four lovers that are stumbling around in the forest, and Puck is there, brilliantly played by Stella Perry. Um, no, sorry, no, not played by Stella Perry. She was Oberon um, by um, um, Monique Saleh. Um, and it was the most glorious, uproarious, energy-filled... I went with my daughter, who was on her feet, jumping up and down by the end of the show. It was just, like, spectacular. So I loved it. Um, okay, most unexpected delight. Oh, I know exactly what this is. So when we were doing the live show at the Enmore in the middle of the year, which was one of these shows that's been put off for, like, I don't know, three years or something, we had two nights at the Enmore Theatre in, in Sydney, and we were kind of a bit like, Ugh, how are we going to do two nights? And Gwen Blake, who's very clever, said, why don't you take it, why don't you just divvy it up? One of you plan a show in secret from the other, um, just pick a night and each of you plan some stuff to surprise the other. And that is what we did and we eventually pulled it off in the middle of this year. Um, but I wrote to um, Kirk Hamilton who runs the Strong Songs um, podcast with which Sales has been unhealthily obsessed for several years now um, to the extent that thanks to Chatters he now has an Australian audience that is of comparable size to his North American audience and he's just like it's the greatest podcast and so like he basically spends an hour deconstructing a song that you like and you can write in a request. And thanks to the Aussie audience, he's had so many requests for You're the Voice, he says. I assume ironic, but like... Anyway, so I wrote to him and just went, oh, look, I'm putting on this show for sales in secret. Would you send a video? Um, I was thinking, like, if I could push the friendship, maybe I could send you a copy of the 7.30 theme and you could analyse it. <laughs> thinking, I mean, just a 30-second throwaway thing. And he was like, crab, of course I will, because he's, like, he listens, because he's adorable. adorable. And what he sent back was this beautifully produced video that is life-affirming. He's just the most charming, great camera presence. And as I opened it up and watched it, I just, I just felt my insides melt. It was the most delightful, glorious moment and I just thought, I'm happy to be alive. That is so funny you raised that, because that's what's on my list. No! It is. Ah! 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 
Mark Hamilton showing up in your live oh. show. Uh, that was it. Made me cry actually. You did cry because he is the most adorable human, and he'd gone to so much trouble. But for you to also think to do it was great. And in fact, my other most unexpectedly delightful moments were also guests with our live show. Um, and I'd whack on Stephanie Alexander onto this because I love, you know, as anyone who knows, I constantly, when asked about my favourite cookbook, say The Cook's Companion, I love Stephanie Alexander. So that was such a thrill to see her there. Um, no, but two other guests that we had on podcast shows this year that I just found so great. One was Luke Longley, the basketballer, just a delightful human being. Um, and the other was... Um, Umberto Clarici, the cellist and uh, new incoming chief conductor of the Queensland Symphony, who I think, like every person in the Queensland Performing Arts Complex, just fell in love with him on the spot after he played his cello so amazingly and then came and sat down and just charmed everyone with his, you know, tales of his musical life and his relationship with his cello. And he was just so, so delightful. So they, they were... Um, really, really superb, you know, little moments. Um, and then what about over summer? What are you, what are you, have you got anything on your list to consume? I think I've got to say that I've derived a huge amount of non-specific enjoyment from your obsession with the cello over the last couple of months. Um, <laughs> peak moment of which would be shared between turning up at the car that we were driving together in to get from Perth to Albany to meet the aforementioned lovely Mr Longley um, and finding that the whole front seat was already occupied with your stupid cello that you'd brought all the way to the west with you because you didn't want to sacrifice your, your, your calluses that you'd already like worked up and didn't want to go soft over like four days of not having the ch- oh my god anyway this is what I live with. Um, and the other thing um, was getting a complaint at the Airbnb oh. that we were staying in for, yep. like, because of loud music playing at 6am, <laughs> which we were thinking, like, shit, who was that? <laughs> Rehearsing the cello. Nothing wrong yep. with scales at 6am on a public holiday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, well, I'm going to go, um, where my family's going to go and see Amadeus, the stage production oh, really with Michael, Michael Sheen. Sheen. Yeah, yeah. Yes, at the Opera um, House. Yeah. Correct, yeah. So, Jeremy got onto that months ago and booked tickets and um, we showed the kids Amadeus the film mm-hmm. um, quite recently. With Murray is, Abraham in White Lotus. Correct, yeah. right. Strings everywhere. Um, and also... <laughs> We were looking at the um, the guy who plays the Archbishop in uh, no not the the Archduke in um, is is F. Murray Abraham Salieri or Mozart Salieri okay yeah Mozart is played by Tom Hulse who was um, sort of never seen again um, but I mean he's still alive I think but just didn't really do much else afterwards sorry Tom probably a chat ten listener as is always the case whenever you say something vaguely dismissive of somebody they turn out to be listening. Um, and uh, we were looking at, um, I mean, Zamadeus seems like 20 seconds ago to me, but like it's a very old film now. Ow, yeah, it's old. Ow, it's old. Um, and we were looking at the Archduke and everyone's going like, who is that guy? Why is he so familiar? Why is he so familiar? Oh, he's the headmaster in Ferris Bueller. Oh. So, Bueller, Bueller. No, actually, that's the teacher. Anyway, whatever. Um, so, looking forward to seeing that, and just a little tiny brag, um, that stars Martin Sheen, and many, many, many years ago, Jeremy and I went and saw a production of Amandeus in which Martin Sheen played Mozart. 
Wow, I just had to do the connections yeah. of, of yeah. that. Okay, good. Michael Sheen, not Martin Sheen. Any Michael books? Sheen. Any books on the list? Oh, God, yeah, heaps, but um, I can't remember any of them now. I'm going to do, on the strength of the Palace Papers, The Diana Chronicles by Tina Brown, which, again, I feel like, what possibly more could I need to know about Diana? But because the other book I thought exactly the same and it was so great, in for a penny, in for a pound, so I'm going to do that. Um, I, I haven't read the new, and I've been saving it all year, the new Elizabeth Strout book, Lucy by the oh, Sea. Oh, God, okay. Surely that's going to be great. And then Gwen has told me eight million times to watch, and I haven't yet watched, but I'm going to, Dairy Girls. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. All right, okay. Well, that's going to be an absolute winner. Um, and, and that's going to get me through because I'm going to have to go back to work. No. Work. Mm. Yeah, you and me both, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just quite liking this not working thing, actually, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, have we petered out at the end of a show without a prepared gag? Is oh, that what's going on? You, you're the timekeeper tonight, I, so I'm waiting I for am, you to yeah. wrap. This is actually the first time ever that Sales hasn't brought any sort of timepiece. In fact, she came to the theatre without anything. Like, normally there's the diabolical mum bag, there's, you know, a million spare things, and she came with a piece of paper and a phone, and she's left the phone in the dressing room, so she's got no idea what time it is. I like to this live is dangerous. how off her game she is. It's, it's five past nine, man. It's right. five past nine. We're wrapping this, baby. We're going to wrap it up. We'll be signing books and stuff out the front if anyone wants one for Christmas for somebody. Thank you for coming. What a climax that is. Like, it's just like, all right, yeah, amazing. I think, I think Brian's back. Sorry, we have to hand over to Brian. We do have to hand over to Brian because, I mean, you do just defer to the dude with the Nobel pin, right? Absolutely. Brian, pizza's amazing. Thank you. It was delicious. Yeah. And the potato was beautifully uh, cooked. Thank you for helping us get this uh, new machine. And, you know, when you... Uh, <laughs> it was great. You know, Breville just starts sending goods to us because of you two. So uh, it's I wonder the, if uh, they do an electric It's nuts. the best financial news the university's had all year, actually. So it was, it was great. <laughs> anyway, uh, this has been outstanding. A great way to uh, finish out uh, the year. Now, I know you didn't have a gag at the end. Ours isn't really a gag, but it's a, it's, it is a little bit of a stunt. So, uh, I, I noticed throughout the season a, just a slightly unhealthy obsession with Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> and we saw just a little bit of it. Uh, you know, G-banging, yeah, quite a lot of metaphors this year. Uh, anyway, so before you go, since you may be aware that uh, Tabitha Caravan, Carvan sorry, is an ANUer who wrote, this is not a book about Benedict Cumberbatch, so she is here with us tonight, and we thought no! we would give, have her sign you a book. Oh, that would be great, and I would love to read that book And of too. course you need to read it over, over the break. Absolutely. So, I've been meant Tabitha? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous! We didn't even talk about this. It just um, you just prepared cumbersnatch material because you know. Oh, look at your your lapel pin as well. Ever, it's not quite Nobel, but it's. Can you know. I ask? Have you ever heard from him about this? Well, yeah, he has seen it because a fan gave it to him to sign, oh. and he he wrote that it was a weird ass meta moment. <laughs> 
sounds like a very Cumberbatchian thing to say. I'm assuming you've seen The Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, many times. <laughs> Do you prefer him as the um, creature or as Frankenstein? Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, I, I, I get secondhand embarrassment from the, the sure. rolling around. Oh, I get you. I, I felt a little uncomfortable. I was happy when that bit was over. Yeah. And so, yeah, okay. So, do you think he's a better Frankenstein than Johnny Lee Miller? Can I just say, Brian said I would not have to speak. Oh. All right, there's a. <laughs> well, you know, mate. <laughs> Oh, Brian speaks with forked tongue, baby. This is going on your performance review next year, <laughs> and you have aced it. <laughs> yeah, I think he's better as both. I mean, I have to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree, yeah. And yeah, well, you would have to say that. You've got a dog in the fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. And... Keep those Christmas stockings open because Tabitha Carvan, this is not a book about Benedict Cumberbatch is now my number one Christmas read. Thank you. All right, so I think that is a great place to end. Uh, Annabelle and Lee will be out in the Athenaeum signing books themselves. Uh, I think uh, the... Uh, I have my own picture in at least one of the books. Uh, you do? Mine. Yes, yeah. uh, very good. We'll sign Brian for you. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. As always, an outstanding audience. Uh, look forward to people having a great break over uh, the end of 2022, and let's book in 2023 before we sell out. 